I'm Dan. And I'm Alex. And this is the On Air Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Episode two. We made it to the second episode. I know. We did it. We have been so excited all week. Your guys' feedback was, we, we, you know, expected to get some love, but the amount of response we got and the positivity of the response was amazing, right, Alex? So, so grateful to everyone that has messaged, people that are sending videos of them playing it in the car or at the gym or on flights. Someone said to me that they had perfectly timed a 45-minute domestic flight and we were the oh entire God. length of the flight. It's just, this. It, it was such a great reaction. I know, Dan, you were sending me the analytics that it was reaching the top 10 in several different categories in several yeah. different countries. Like, it is like, genuinely, we are very very grateful especially because we just went for it i mean we just you know we didn't really have a, a strict agenda so thank you to everyone that has got in touch even to those of you that haven't yet reached out or haven't reached out but we can see that you you have listened uh, thank you um because it's uh, something that we've wanted to do for a while so the fact that we've had this great reception it's really encouraging and here we are now sitting down Fully in the groove of the weekly podcast swing. So as you hopefully know by now, you will have a new episode of On Air in your podcast inbox every Wednesday. Of course, to stay up to date with that, you will want to follow us or subscribe depending on what platform you're listening on. Uh, if you leave reviews, which we would love if you do, there might be an exciting competition coming up as well. Also, and that competition is going to be for specifically for those that have reviewed, right? Yes. Or followed and subscribed. I know you're going to be handling this and that. That does <laughs> yeah. sound very exciting. Yeah. So please engage with that already if you want to. And of course, feel free to DM us, engage in this conversation with us. Any thoughts you have about what we're saying, we're super happy to hear on Instagram or anywhere else. So every Wednesday, we'll be back talking about the latest news, talking about what has happened to us in the past week, if we've had any interesting travels. And I think this week, both Alex and I have had some pretty interesting adventures. What you just traveled last night, I think, right? Yeah, it's relative what's a nightmare trip, but this was pretty close to a nightmare trip, at least in terms of the people on board the flight. It was quite the experience, but I, I've actually been traveling for two days, so two days of flying. The yeah. first day I was on Emirates, and I mean, that was perfectly fine, but I just had this one flight attendant. Alex and I love talking about different experiences we've had with flight attendants. And there was this one woman, I guess she was a bit older than you usually find on Middle Eastern Airlines. Her aura was like, so powerful. She walked into the cabin. She had this very deep voice. Her colleague goes, excuse, excuse me, do you have any more water uh, in first? Because I guess the water was, had run out in our cabin. She's like, darling, I have, I only have Evian. Is that okay, darling? So I was like, wow. So basically, you loved her. Is this what I was obsessed? I almost, <laughs> oh. I love her voice so oh much, my God. but I also don't want to be creepy, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and speaking of creepy, this is the perfect time to just just reference, and you don't know this, but I'm looking at some of the comments from last week, right? And Claire got in touch, and she says, loving the podcast, big fan already, and the American accent dude is great too. So I can only assume that she's referring to you, given that you bring the LA, do you have almond milk kind oh of accent God. to the podcast? So uh, yeah, it's a success. Anyway, please continue. Yeah, this is the recipe for success. Anyway, so lovely voice, lovely British accent. But then I flew to London and yesterday I flew from London on a vacation flight with British Airways out of Gatwick. Oh. And uh, you were already warning me a bit about what this experience was going to be like beforehand. And the thing is, it's just so different. It's just so different to flying from London is. Heathrow. Like when you, so British Airways have this kind of split hub system where they're really hubbed at London Heathrow, but they also have significant operations from London Gatwick. But everything is different there from aircraft to crew to even the contracts that the um, pilots and crew are, are contracted on with the airline. And, and as a result, you can just have two completely different experiences that can be worlds apart. Um, for both good and bad reasons, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah it's, so. it's fascinating the difference in the type of passengers. I hadn't really expected that because, of course, BA has some, you know, they have routes to the US. There are all types of flights. There's Emirates, Qatar Airways, at Gatwick as well. But it was such a contrast from the night before at Heathrow. And the crazy, yeah. I'm just reacting to this because I used to fly from Gatwick all the time. When we lived in the UK when I was young, that was the closest airport to where we lived. Every year we'd go to visit, we'd fly Norwegian into Gatwick. Wow. They've cut that route now. So now it's been like yeah. five years since I was there. 
I think the route ended during the pandemic. Then it was twice daily, actually. So, you know, that was great for those of us who who grew up in cities that aren't as well connected as London. This is going to be a reoccurring theme that listeners will get used to, which is that Dan's home city in Sweden, Gothenburg, is um, not the state-of-the-art airport hub that he thinks it is in his head. <laughs> the rest of the world have quite an idea, with all due respect to Gothenburg, beautiful place, but we're not talking about a major hub. Dan seems okay. to think it's worthy of like A380, Double Daily, 747s, the world's uh, best airline products should fly direct to Gothenburg. And of course, the reality is the market is just not there. You are talking about basically a village. Alex is digging up my trauma. This is my entire childhood. I no. warned you on episode one. This will also this will be a podcast. Yes, but this will also be therapy. So Deep inside, I've always known that it's irrelevant and there won't be any interesting flights. I mean, the fact that there is a direct flight to New York this summer is insane. I think but... that's thanks to you. I think you have successfully <laughs> yeah. lobbied your national carrier into, into launching nonstop traffic flights from sleepy but beautiful, but sleepy <laughs> Gothenburg. All listeners from Gothenburg, I, know, I apologize. Going, this is a dangerous game I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, we just uh, lost 10% of our listeners. <laughs> right, yeah. Sweden just falls off of the analytics. <laughs> Thank Whoa. you, Sweden. We love you, Sweden. Anyway, yeah. so, so what happened on this flight? We both fly some interesting routes sometimes, but mm. I very rarely feel like I'm on a holiday flight, quote unquote. So we board. Everything was fine during boarding, but... Throughout the flight, I noticed how people were getting drunker and drunker. You really notice it on vacation routes and people start getting louder. The people in the row across the aisle from us, they had like a full on little mixology station on their tray wow. tables with champagne and different spirits. And they, they had brought mixers on the plane. I was like, gosh. So that was one part. People were acting crazy, being very loud. In the row behind us, there was an adorable family, an adorable daughter. But at one point, they're like, I just hear them say, oh, that's smelly. Do you have a wet wipe? And I realize they are changing their baby's diaper no, no, in no. the seat behind wow. me. Oh my goodness, but there, there, are, there are literal stations in the lavatory yeah. for, for that to be done comfortably. And because obviously this is going to need to happen, but, but yeah, yeah, that's not for the seat area. Wow. Exactly. For the UK flight specifically, okay, air rage incidents. So incidents as a result of too many passengers being drunk is a scenario that is worsening year on year. Because yeah. and much of it is to do with this culture of leisure flights aka you know holiday flights and so on there is this strong association especially in the uk where the data reveals that it has the biggest issue rather it's just strongly linked to intoxication to passengers drinking and then becoming drunk and it's worsening year on year it costs airlines millions because they have an, a scenario where a passenger is extremely drunk then he does something crazy like he's threatening the cabin crew or he's um you know saying he's going to do something with the aircraft door or something ridiculous and then of course the military of the airspace that they are overflying of the country that they are overflying are triggered to, uh, to intercept the aircraft and escort it down for an emergency landing to get this passenger off and so on and so on it is worsening year on year and airlines yeah. have had to place I mean, limitations on basically reducing the amount of alcohol they sell on key routes such as to Ibiza and things like that. At the same time, they also aggressively upsell onboard alcohol. Yeah. So it's like they're, they're creating the monster. I feel so bad for the crew. And the US has figured it out in one sense that if someone causes a diversion due to something like that, of course, they should pay the cost that the diversion is costing the airline, which that can be hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases, but those costs have actually been passed on to passengers in some situations. On the other that hand- That hasn't happened in the UK yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So on the other hand, the US is the other infamous place where there's a lot of air age incidents. I, I don't feel like it's necessarily always related to alcohol there. It's more of a cultural thing where people get upset the dynamics with cabin crew are completely different We've in the US. We've seen those videos and those videos are just like, they just ultimately show the horror of 
of modern day air travel where you've got shouty, screamy passengers arguing with crew or crew that are very much ready and waiting to take passengers yeah. off for any any given reason. I mean, there's definitely, that's an entirely separate issue that seems to be so US focused, we don't see yeah. it coming out of any other market. We're going to do a whole episode about US yeah. airlines yeah. and everything and that I goes I think on. we should explore that topic more as well, just about what the situation is with airlines and their response to these incidents that are as a result of, of alcohol. My observation, and I bet you agree with me on, on this, on the aircraft that I fly that have onboard bars and lounges, so like the Middle Eastern carriers and their A380s, fully stocked bars, whether it's Virgin Atlantic and their transatlantic A350s and so on, I don't think I have ever seen a passenger very, very drunk not, yes. And certainly I have never seen a passenger kind of like out of control and cause a disturbance. However, put me on a low cost airline on a two hour morning flight from London Stansted to Southern Europe, where 180 passengers are crammed into a tiny cabin with one drink service. That's where it all happens. So it's yeah. amazing that actually the, the, the aircraft with the onboard bars, everyone is fine and somehow drinking in moderation. And the, uh, the aircraft that are operating these early morning, you know, first wave 6 a.m. flights have, are the ones with the issues. Yeah. And I think, I think we kind of pointed at the, an issue here, which is that the airlines are incentivizing people to buy alcohol and to drink more because they make money from it. And then right. the poor crew are the ones that need to sell it and then deal with the problems. The airline that is trying to implement the system doesn't have to worry unless there's a costly diversion but yeah. otherwise, it's this huge burden and stress on the poor crew yeah. just for the airline to get some more profits. You have, you have Ryanair crew who are, who are told that you didn't sell enough alcohol this month. And if you're not, then you're not Insane. meeting your targets. And if you're not meeting your targets, then you're not going to go into the next pay bracket or you're not going to get that promotion or perhaps there's no future for you at the airline and so on. So it's like, OK, so which one is it? You know, the airlines have to decide, are they on the side of the fact that they're complaining they're paying for these diversions? Or is it that actually these onboard ancillary revenue sales matter for them more? And yeah. what do they make? We'll take a deeper dive into that. That's for sure. I, I, I just you, you arrived fine. And yeah, I mean, we arrived, we arrived fine. The thing is that we were going to meet up with my mom and my aunt. Our flight was on time, surprisingly, but my mom and my aunt who were flying Turkish Airlines to meet us, their flight was one of those horrible rolling delays where at first it's a 20-minute delay, then it's a 40-minute delay, then it's a one-hour delay. Eventually, the flight was delayed two and a half hours, leaving close to midnight. <laughs> so Oscar and I are sitting there in our rental car, which we've picked up, just watching this delay extend and extend and extend. So we just, we drove to some deserted parking lot, sat there and worked on our laptops in the middle of the night, so jet lagged, waiting for them. But apparently Turkish Airlines at least took amazing care of them. Just after about an hour and a half of delays, they brought out drinks and sandwiches for all the passengers. Everyone got drinks and sandwiches, then on these board, tiny, the service. These, these very small gestures go a long way. The data shows that it, it matters to a lot of passengers. They can have a horrible delay, but then the thing they remember is that, oh, but they did get a sandwich or they, they did have, you know, multiple bottles of water and so on and so on. And so it costs the airlines virtually nothing, but yeah. it does go a long way. It really does. So, so Alex, what have you been up to in the last I one? have just got back from Montreal in Canada. I was at ICAO. That's the International Civil Aviation Organization. That is the United Nations Special Agency for Aviation. So if you think about the UN, you have UNESCO, you have World Food Programs, you have the WHO for health, you have all these different UN entities. But for aviation, you have ICAO. And uh, ICAO is the UN body that is basically the home of policy making for, uh, for global aviation. It's the home of the freedoms of the skies, which are basically the laws of which international aviation follows in order to ensure global safe air travel. And they have a very significant role to play at ICAO. The very top umbrella with the entire civil aviation sector of the world underneath and you have all countries represented there i think it's around 192 member states and they're deciding global aviation policy and they're discussing everything from what's happening around the world to key issues that they need to take decisions on and it's everything from um, airspace allocation to the ongoing situation with uh, mh17 of course the malaysia airlines 777 that was shot down um, over ukraine a few, quite a few years ago to 
everything that comes up um, across the sector. So I was at ICAO for um, just over a week. It's a nice place that ICAO happens to be located in. And uh, the well, sessions thank were... goodness they're not located in Gothenburg because yeah, Alex would not be happy with that. Well, maybe it would attract some more aviation and there's some more <laughs> airlines than that are currently serving it. But Montreal is, is dubbed as the kind of capital of international civil aviation because of the origins of ICAO. So I just got back from there. The jet lag on the way back after being back was quite difficult. I don't usually get a lot of jet lag, as you know, but I was very strict with my sleeping routine over there to ensure that I was sleeping up super routine. early. Yeah, I was, I was very strict because I wanted to make sure I was awake super early. But being so strict has its downsides because I then fly 14, 15 hours and then the sleep is just a disaster for a few days yeah. at least because I was so strict and I'm literally then in reverse and so on. Um, yeah, I was uh, trying to convince you to take melatonin. I don't know if it's placebo, but Oscar and I swear by it when we're... Everyone was telling me to take zones. it, yeah. Everyone was kind of sending me to it, but, but I didn't. In the end, after a few days, I kind of fixed it with a pillow spray and trying to sleep early. And <laughs> Who's the Angelino of... here? Really? <laughs> right, I know. Yeah. It did sound very LA, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, but you have the accent, so. <laughs> the difference in our last week, you being at this prestigious organization surrounded by influential people, me being surrounded by drunk people on a British Airways holiday flight. That's I love like that. mo that's most of our weeks, no? <laughs> okay, like bye. That's joking. the end of the honor I'm podcast. I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> and on air concludes halfway yeah. through episode two. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you enjoy it, guys. Obviously, there has been a lot that has been going on globally and also in the headlines and in the news. And many of you also got in touch to ask some questions, but also to suggest some topics that you would like us to dive into. So we will come to some more direct questions towards the later part of this of this episode. But yeah. first, Dan, I just wanted to go through some of the topics that I have uh, here on the list. I want to start first with Morocco. Of course, Morocco has suffered this deadly earthquake. Um, yeah. It's a really horrible and, and difficult time for them and thoughts also to everyone affected. When you have a natural disaster like this, a lot of what then the response um, is relies on international air travel and cargo and humanitarian and the access of goods and so on. This is why I always say that no matter what is in the headlines, no matter what breaking news story occurs, so I say almost always all roads lead to aviation. Somewhere aviation is going to have, there is always an aviation angle and, and aviation will have a role to play. Um, and this is the case with uh, Morocco, of course. Many countries, um, including the UK, France, uh, the European Union as a whole, actually, um, the UAE, Qatar, Spain have played quite a big role as well, ascending aircraft with um, humanitarian aid and so on. Morocco is neighbor to Algeria, and Algeria is the largest country on the continent of Africa. To put things into perspective, Dan, you could fit the entire UK France, Germany, Portugal, Jordan, all of the Arab states, as well as Singapore, Taiwan, Switzerland, Rwanda, Korea, all these countries could fit inside Algeria. It is that large. And they have a very significantly sized airspace as a result. And that's key here because since 2021, Algeria suspended all diplomatic ties with Morocco due to a dispute between their two governments. And as part of that dispute, Algeria closed its airspace specifically to Morocco only, preventing any flights heading to or from Morocco from overflying Algeria. In the commercial aviation world, maybe not too much of a big deal, but now that Morocco has suffered in the way that it has with this earthquake, we have flights that are needing to reach the different areas of Morocco with aid that were looking at having to take the longer route. And it's here that geopolitics comes into play with many governments around the world wondering if Algeria were going to keep up this ban in light of what had happened. Thankfully, Algeria have ultimately U-turned on the ban that has been in place for two years. So they have permitted flights traveling to Morocco, carrying humanitarian aid and rescue teams to overfly its vast airspace area in order to reach Morocco to cut flight times and to ensure that that follow-up is as fast as of course it needs to be in the aftermath of something as horrific as an earthquake. Amazing. When a lot of people think about, you know, bad relationships between countries, 
sanctions, those types of things. Aviation and aerospace isn't the first thing that comes to mind, but it's actually a very common tool used to, well, quote unquote, punish other countries and restrict their opportunities. So, of course, there's many examples of that in the Middle East. There was the Qatar blockade where Qatar Airways was not able to use the airspace of Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Egypt, several more. And now, of course, Saudi Arabia restricting or actually most of the Gulf restricting airspace access of Israeli carriers and that slowly beginning to open up. So that has now started to open up yeah, yeah. for a lot of the Gulf. So yeah, airspace is very often used as a geopolitical weapon. And this happens far more um, than perhaps most are, are aware of. If, if we go back quickly to the continent of Africa, we had the recent coup in Niger. Now, the thing about airspace across Africa is that you have most of these countries have pretty large airspace areas. And what happens when you have a large airspace area is there's more chance that you have more overflight. So you have more aircraft that are flying to or from key destinations, let's say connecting Cape Town with Paris or Johannesburg with London, they're going to be using a lot of different airspaces that are across the African continent as they make their journey there. So this is particularly relevant because with this coup that happened about two weeks ago, the current military kind of self-proclaimed leader held a press conference. It was around 1.30 a.m. where I was. And so part of me was, you know, really waiting for this to hear what the development was. The other half of me needed to hear what he was going to say because I wanted to go to bed. Right, It's 1.30 a.m. <laughs> and he's doing this press conference. Right. So he comes on and there's a translator and he's describing the, the quote, his idea of, quote, the success of the coup so far. And he looks down the camera and, of course, there's a translator. So it's a few seconds behind. And the translator says, and with uh, immediate effect, I will be closing the the and I'm looking at the camera at the the TV (laughs) saying, don't say it. Do not say airspace. Do not say airspace for two reasons. Firstly, because I knew the ramifications would be huge. The impact would be immediate. But second, because I wanted to go to bed as I had just (laughs) and it was so late at night. It would have been a long day. And he said, closing the airspace. And I was thinking, no. And what happened then? Literally 40 minutes later, chaos over the continent of Africa. We had airborne aircraft full of passengers. Most of these flights, because it was nighttime, they had already departed. You have this huge airspace, the airspace belonging to Niger, suddenly off limits. Airlines cannot go around it via the easterly route because Sudan is basically off limits because of what happened there. You can't go south of Sudan because South Sudan is also off limits. Suddenly, watching radar, you're seeing the live reaction of multiple aircraft filled with passengers turning left, turning right, kind of making a circle, speaking to their respective hubs, trying to navigate what are they going to do? Do they have enough fuel to continue? Do they go back? The long story short is some of the aircraft with enough fuel and with fewer passengers on board, so the aircraft were were not full, were able to make it to their European hubs with about four and a half hours of extra flying. They took the westerly route, basically going right out to the west of the continent of Africa, around and up. You had a, a, a British Airways A380, which spent the night going so far up from South Africa, climbing north for about six hours Uh, on the northerly route and then being instructed by the hub at London Heathrow who had done all the calculations, you need to go back. And they turned all the way back in the air and flew straight back to South Africa, 12 hours in the air to end up exactly where they had started. It was a chaotic night. I think that happened in both directions, right? Heathrow to Johannesburg also turned around. Alex is more of a stay up late person. I'm more of a go to bed early person. So I was obviously not awake for this. But every morning when I wake up, I log on to flight radar, explore the world, see what's going on. And I noticed, I guess I woke up quite early, maybe it was 6.30, 7am. And I was looking at Africa and I was like, what are all these flights all these European airlines doing all around here. And then I was looking at Brussels Airlines. I was looking from Uganda to Brussels. I was like, why did that just turn around here? What's going on? And I was so confused why all these flights were turning around. And then, of course, you tune into the news and you figure it out. Just this last week, we had another interesting diversion case, right, where a flight from the Seychelles to Israel had no choice but to divert to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And that's pretty significant because, of course, there are so many situations where I think... 
I'm nervous as a passenger to be flying over this country because what if something happens? That's what I think sometimes. Well, what country? What country would you be nervous to overfly? Well, okay. For example, the fact that many flights, obviously not on U.S. airlines, but Asian airlines, Middle Eastern airlines, still fly over Russia when flying yeah. from their hubs to the U.S. Yeah, that is pretty crazy because you don't want an Emirates A380 with almost 600 people, many of whom are Americans, diverting to Russia. That's simply imagine how uncomfortable those people will be. Knowing that、and、this is something. This is so interesting. This is so timely because these are part of the discussions that are happening at IKEA in the in Montreal, the UN. Ultimately, if Russia has decided that they're not blocking, for example, certain Asian or Middle Eastern carriers owing to what's happening with Ukraine, and, and they've decided they're not going to be putting any sanctions on them, and those airlines continue to fly, what position does that put? As you say, an American citizen who has been told by their respective government to steer clear. I think most passengers it won't even cross their mind. It is the ever-changing geopolitical landscape meeting aviation, and they are so connected. This is why I follow geopolitics so closely because the fallback almost always hits aviation and air travel. I, for one, am very conscious about which country I'm flying over. I always have the in-flight map on. I'm always judging. Okay, this country is green. This country is yellow. In term, in my mind, in terms of how、Your、I feel、risk. about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Risks some... change all the time. I mean, you've got some airlines that now fly over Iraq and Iran and have continued to do so for the last、yeah. couple of years. You have some airlines that are flying the same routes, but they will not overfly Iraq. They will not overfly Iran. They will not overfly Afghanistan. And then that leaves them with a very limited route as to how they get over. Over and get around these key,、uh, centrally located corridors that are very often sitting directly in the middle between either east and west or north and south. Yeah, that's something that that airlines are constantly having to assess and navigate. And it's funny because you can be booking with the same airline, but because the flight is operated by their partner, their partner can operate a, a, a much longer route than the existing airline that you booked with, just because they have a different idea and perception. On risk and risk is relative. So yeah, to put it in perspective, we sh- we could discuss what types of routes could no longer be possible if airlines, for example, weren't allowed to fly over Russia at all on flights to or from the U.S. Because U.S. carriers have really had to restrict their route networks. United's flights to India have suffered heavily from the U.S. West Coast because it's simply not possible to get there economically without flying over Russia. So. The Gulf carriers exclusively fly over Russia to get to the U.S. West Coast. Cathay Pacific has to fly over Russia to get to the U.S. East Coast. There's all types of routes that would be extended by many hours to the point where it wouldn't be feasible anymore to fly it if the U.S. government suddenly told them, "Actually, we don't want you flying over Russia with U.S. citizens on board." Yeah, it would become very, very difficult, and it would get complicated. And that conversation would be would most likely end up in a chamber, in an assembly hall, in ICAO, or or for the council to discuss, because everything comes into play there. You have sovereignty. You have the state saying, "Well, we are fine with this country, and because you are not, has nothing to do with us," and so on. And passengers have a choice, and and then you realize how small it all is, because then you've got government to government making these decisions. And it directly either affecting or potentially impacting you as a passenger and who you choose to fly. And as I say, most for most people, they're not going to be giving this much thought. Yeah, as someone with a U.S. and Swedish passport, if I heard that I was going to divert to Iran, yeah, I would. I would be nervous because I mean they. You would also be thinking about the prospects of a very being... successful YouTube video. Let's just be clear, okay? The YouTuber in you would kick in, and、mm. you'd be seeing view spikes. Yeah. Do you think there's Wi-Fi in Iranian prison?、Gosh. I mean, just the fact that some countries use hostages for political gain. I just think it's interesting because you say the passengers have the choice. Whether or not they choose to fly over Russia, well, they have the choice whether or not they're going to fly on an airline that overflies,、yeah. for example, Russia. But of course, that requires them to research what to their airline is doing and Because, to know. And yeah, yeah, looking at the route maps, most route maps are not representative on a flat map of what the actual route is. So many、Correct. times, it might not look like you're actually flying over Russia. 
and there's no indication that you do. But if you check something like flight radar, for example, you will see that actually these flights fly over Russia and you would see quite a few people reconsider. I'm sure of that. But that, that's like, isn't that like most of aviation where they, the industry gets by on the fact that passengers simply do not know? I mean, passengers yeah. do not know about how to correctly get, they make it yeah. difficult. You don't know that you are actually entitled to compensation. You don't know back in the day when it was very taboo that you're flying on a 737 MAX. They just dropped yep. the name MAX. You don't know that you're going to be operated by an airline that actually was sanctioned by these member states. But, but when it's brought in as a leasing company airline, it's fine. There is a lot that the industry gets away with on yeah. passengers simply not knowing. I wanted to ask you if you have been across what is happening in Australia with Qantas. Oh, I have been following the drama. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it. Right? And I was planning to bring this up with you anyway for today's episode. But also I received a DM from Anne-Marie. She says, quote, I love the podcast. Well done. As an Aussie, I am curious about your thoughts on the current Qantas situation. So the situation, there are multiple different sides to it. Basically, the... Australians are having a interesting way, or the Australian government, I should say, at building back the aviation landscape ever since the pandemic. Now, Australia, of course, had longer lockdowns and a and, and longer period of restrictions than most areas on the earth. But also they have a demographic, demographic of passengers that are desperate to travel, that, that, you know, there's a lot of pent up demand. But how the government have been handling this is a little bit strange and i say that because you have qantas that's the national airline of australia and i guess dan you've seen what's been happening with alan joyce who is then now former ceo but he was the ceo until about a few days ago he has come under fire because he has been accused of successfully lobbying the australian prime minister anthony albanese into basically keeping out the competition and by keeping out the competition and preventing um, other foreign carriers from flying to Australia, a very lucrative market, it has kept the cost of air travel far higher in Australia than other markets. To put things into perspective, it now costs, and I'll say it in British pounds, it now costs 1,500 British pounds on average for a return flight to London in economy. That's about 60% more than pre-pandemic days. So people have been slamming the national airline for this kind of protectionist attitude and for keeping other airlines out. And then yeah. Qatar Airways lodges an application to expand into Australia. So to increase flights with dozens of extra flights, they put in that request. An airline can, cannot simply just turn up and start flying more if there's demand. They have to have permission based on their aviation agreement with their country. So they put in that request. And Qatar Airways is, of course, one of the Middle Eastern carriers, one of the Gulf carriers that has a lot of presence on that kangaroo route, as it's known, which connects Europe with Australia. The flights are always busy. There is always demand in both directions. It's in extremely popular. And the application to expand on those flights and, of course, extra flights will will reduce the fares, will put pressure onto Qantas to reduce their fares as they have to meet added competition. Well, the Australian government rejected it without giving a reason. And this just fueled the fire and the anger towards Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas, so much so that he has actually stepped down two or three months earlier than planned because he said that he has become the story. Uh, ultimately, the, the saga has just escalated too much. And now the officials there, including Alan Joyce, will be testifying to the Senate. They'll be questioned on if they deliberately were blocking the flights in order to protect the airline and so on. Australians basically are the victims here because they are facing fares that are very, very high and they are pretty much stuck with very few options than if Australia actually opened up a bit more and welcomed further uh, frequencies from foreign carriers to also do yeah. the route. And there's demand for everyone. I don't understand this protectionist attitude in 2023. To be no. Honest. So, so a few things to add to this. First of all, airlines claim to care about sustainability. Countries claim to, stay, to care about sustainability. Yeah. Australia certainly does. But the fact that we have airlines needing to use, you know, strange tactics to add flights to Australia when the government doesn't allow them, which is terrible from a sustainability perspective, just looks so bad. So an example of this is that Qatar Airways cannot add flights to Melbourne or Sydney. Ad Adelaide is definitely a part of that, that issue. I, I don't know if Adelaide is, right? Because that's why 
Qatar Airways has added another yeah, daily that's flight what I mean. to Adelaide. That's how that. Yeah. But which one? Which are the destinations so, that? So are what I'm talking, uh, Qatar Airways wants to add flights to Melbourne, but they can't. Yeah. However, yeah. what they can do is they can add as many flights as they want to Adelaide, that's although it. there isn't demand to Adelaide. So what they've done is they started flying Doha, Melbourne. With an overnight, the aircraft stays overnight in Melbourne and then continues the next morning to Adelaide, yet they sell that as a flight from Doha to Adelaide. So, of course, what most people are doing, I assume close to 100%, is they book the flight just from Doha to Melbourne, get to off. Go to Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and then a huge 777 is flying empty to Adelaide and back just because the government is restricting Qatar Airways from adding more flights directly to Melbourne. So we're talking about... So you have about... Australians who are needing to get to Melbourne. The government is seemingly content with the fact that they then force these aircraft to go pointlessly to a destination that doesn't have the demand and back just because they won't allow them to go Direct, yeah, because and it, direct, and they haven't given a reason for that. It's a very obvious loophole. The government knows what's going on. Everyone knows yeah. what's going on, and they just accept it. They think, okay, that's these are the rules. They don't care about the massive, unnecessary emissions that this causes when people just want to fly to Melbourne. So that's one thing. And then the other thing that's part of this whole situation is that Australians are so angry at Qantas that there's a whole political movement to get Qantas in trouble. So Qantas yeah. is actually in the courts right now due to practices from 2021 and 2022 where they would cancel flights but not announce that they were canceled until sometimes weeks or months later. They would also continue selling flights or selling tickets on flights that were already canceled. And they knew they were canceled, but they were happy to take people's money and then wait months and make it a huge headache before they would pay out a refund. So and this is running yeah. in parallel with everything else that is going on, which is why they are literally describing it as a kind of quanta scandal yeah. because they are they are in the dock um, in the public court of opinion for for ultimately selling tickets as you said for flights that they knew were never going to be going ahead. You have the Australian Chamber of Commerce, um, I'll just bring up the figure that they had uh, that they had quoted saying that the decision to deny the application for a foreign airline to expand has just cost the tourism industry up to 788 million Australian dollars. They say that actually it's an underestimation that, that the impact is, is further. Of course, you have another player in the Australian market, Virgin Australia. Virgin Australia, a golf carrier, Qatar Airways partner, they've said that they are, quote, deeply disappointed that their partner airline is unable to expand its services into Australia, but not because they, they specifically need their partner to be there, but because it's Australians that it negatively affects, mainly. Yeah. I mean, it's you're literally losing out on tourism. You're adding further complication to Aussies that have been able to get away, but are paying um, higher fares just in order to come back. A at the end of the day, there really is enough demand for everyone. I mean, yeah. most of the flights you're taking right down are, are full. Yeah, they are. And Alex, you can imagine how triggering this is for me coming from Gothenburg, where I'm begging airlines to launch oh, flights. Look, we're back to Aus Gothenburg. We are back to Gothenburg. <laughs> Australians. How did you link it to Gothenburg? We're talking about Australia. <laughs> because because it's my trauma. Listen, right. airlines want to add more flights to Australia. Good airlines want to add seats, want to add flights. And the government yeah. is saying no. Can you imagine what I would give to have these airlines wanting to add <laughs> flights to God? I would give my left arm. I don't <laughs> see the link. Yeah, I, I'm not sure the relevance here. And I think God's word has been mentioned far too many times on this episode. Basically, I am jealous of Australians. Besides, one more interesting thing just to mention is that this could turn out to be a record high fine for Qantas or pretty much for any airline in the world. Because as I understand it, as this works its way through the court systems, if Qantas is found guilty of what they're being accused of, they could pay up to 10% of their annual revenue as a fine. We're talking a lot of money, which I'm on the side of the Australians. And, and just to put it into context, Qantas just last month posted its annual profit of 1.1 billion Australian yeah. dollars. 
and they admit that their reputation has taken a hit, but it's taken a hit from the consumers. It's taken a hit from their behavior during COVID and these, these cancer flights. It's taking a hit for the close relationship with the Australian PM and keeping up foreign carriers. It's a whole load of negativity for an airline that has actually had a lot of decent publicity over the last yeah. few years with the whole it's going project to be doing Sunrise. the longest flights in the world known as project sunrise and they've announced these beautiful new cabins and so on so it's not nice to see and uh, i hope that this is a win for consumers in this yeah. because there could be change ahead we'll keep an eye on it we're going to bring bringing you the updates for that for sure because this continues to play out well speaking of consumers how can we help our listeners what questions and situations do we have we have a few. No, we have more than a few. We have a lot. We won't get through all of them. But we'll, we will keep the uh, questions on the list. And then if we don't come into it in this episode, we'll hopefully get to it in the next episode and so on and so Yeah. And by the so, way, guys, the point of this is for you to learn what to do in different situations. So even if you're not in the situation now, who knows what will happen in the future if you're out traveling. So this is yeah. really supposed to be like sort of educational in the sense that... And we'll try to keep it kind of short and snappy with this. Yeah. So this one says, Dan, Alex, if you could change one thing about the airport process, in a nutshell, what would it be? This is from Kieran. Remove the other people. Oh my goodness. That was... <laughs> go, you know, go back to the days of empty airports. No, that was horrible. No, seriously, what would you change? I mean, there isn't there so much... There is so much. I can't yeah. pick one. I mean, Even uh, I have, uh, we live to fly. We love airplanes, but there's just so much that the horrible. airport. Mm, not, not it. Okay, I'm gonna go for one. Right, I was going to go for how we collect our baggage because that literally hasn't changed since the existence of flight itself. But I will go for security. Given I wouldn't change how security is conducted because that's not an aviation decision. That's obviously a a wider decision in terms of global security. And so let's keep in mind how security is now in terms of the limitation on things and liquids and so on. I would just change. You're in an airport. Quite literally everybody there is an international traveler. If you're at an international hub airport, that's not Gothenburg. And when you are when you are interacting as security personnel with passengers who most likely don't speak your language because they are literally coming from abroad. Why is it acceptable for security personnel to be to, to just shout louder or, you know, to, to be aggressive or to bark and so on? You see it so often. It's just not nice. There are nicer, more polite, civil, dare I say, ways of going about how security is conducted. The second thing is I'm I'm not happy with how people's belongings are handled in some scenarios i'll give oh you an example God. i put like we are seasoned travelers i will not bleep i will not trigger the sensor and my bags will not be rejected because i know how to comply with the rules like in an ocd way so that's great and, and i know that's going to happen okay maybe it can happen the odd time whatever random check and i respect that but if i'm unzipping my my laptop and i'm saying do you need the laptop out yes they need a laptop okay so I take my laptop out why is a security personnel where else in society would this be acceptable for somebody to then grab the grab the tray while well, i'm not done with it grab the tray uh, lift up the laptop the laptop goes flying almost falls out of the tray and then what smashes on the floor okay who's then paying for it yeah i mean what that that aggression that check if the passenger is done with it securing things so that so that you don't have all your things out and loose and then it gets stuck in the machine or you forget it after i know many listeners will be thinking about heathrow here because they have a bit of a reputation here but actually my worst recent experience was in was at nice airport where she just tipped my laptop bag upside down after telling me i didn't need to take the laptop out the laptop went flying and hit the tray and it's like i could have done that my you could have God. said to me can you take the laptop out yeah. after telling me that it could have stayed in and I would have safely taken it out and zipped it up, you know, so yeah. yeah. So you know, a trigger for me is when your bag gets chosen to get searched, the person will just rip everything out of the bag, every little thing like my carry on has. God so forbid you pockets. tell them that that it's fragile. Yeah. Or for example, yeah. there's a podcast microphone in there, yeah. they such as the throw, ones we're using now. <laughs> they will throw everything in one pile and then they'll be like, OK, I'm done hand it back to you and you're just left there with a pile of your belongings you know where they do that the worst where frankfurt <gasps> i ooh, i didn't i didn't know if i wanted to say it but yes yeah. right you were thinking yeah. of frank you of were describing course, frankfurt yeah, right literally frankfurt horrible yeah uh, awful with how they do that as security the security before the gates happens every single time 
they should take a trip to east asia and see how security shouldn't everyone shouldn't everyone (laughs) this one is from sarah she says hi dan and alex my easyjet flight was cancelled from portugal to the uk the day before the uk's air traffic control failed initially the blame was air traffic restrictions across europe so this was not part of the uk meltdown which happened the next day around 30 hours later this was described as just due to busy skies I had to pay for a hotel for two nights and other expenses. What do I do? Okay, this was from Sarah. Sarah, get a pen and paper. I'm going to talk you through it really quickly now. You flew with EasyJet. You need to go to their delays and cancellations page on EasyJet. They have a section, cancelled flights. You go to expenses and you have an expense claim form by EasyJet where you put in the details of your booking reference, the date of your flight, and the reason why you're claiming, which is that the flight was cancelled. You then go to the second part of the form and you fill in all of your details. And then the third part of the form is going to ask you where you want these expenses to be paid. So you basically have to give a a bank account and the IBAN and the sort code and and so on. You then come to the the, the fourth part, which is a bit similar to your bank. The fifth part will, will ask you for your expenses so you are entitled because the airline cancelled your flight don't let them say that this was anything to do with the uk air traffic meltdown that happened the next day it sounds like it's due and i will double check this due to the airline being quite ambitious with their summer schedule and as a result they had to cancel your flight due to air traffic control limitations across europe not matching up with their ambitious schedule therefore you are owed for those for those expenses at the very least and so in most scenarios, especially in summer, airlines can't give you that hotel themselves and they're telling you to go uh, away and do it. And this sounds like exactly what you have done. So you take the receipt of that hotel and you go back into the expenses form and you upload the receipt into there along with any other expenses that you had incurred during that period. So what else can you can you claim for? You can claim for the taxi to your hotel or the public transport you took to the hotel where you had to wait it out for two days and then the taxi back to the airport. You can claim for your meals, assuming you've got the receipts. This is why I tell everyone, just keep the receipts of everything. You can claim for a couple of phone calls if you had to call work or you had to call home and so on. You can get like an itemized bill from your mobile phone network provider. You put all these receipts into the expenses form and you send it off to EasyJet. And within a few days, they will acknowledge that they have received it. And then within two weeks, assuming that they have acknowledged that yes, actually, you, you are within your rights to uh, to claim these expenses, they will pay you within around two weeks. The good news is, is that I had just recently helped a couple with this and they had their flight cancelled. This was before the UK ATC meltdown and EasyJet were telling them, please just go away and book hotels and come back for the next flight, which was in several days. Or they were saying, book other flights because our flights are full. And they put in all their expenses for the hotel, for the new flights, and the new flights were with British Airways. They put in their expenses for the taxis to get from Luton to Heathrow in the UK and so on. EasyJet accepted and paid everything into their account within five days. It was a very quick, easy result. Yeah, so well, that's what you need to do. I mean, that's, I actually find Ryanair and EasyJet, some of the ultra low cost carriers, to be better with compensation and this type of stuff than the legacy carriers and following through. I mean, just a few things to mention is if you, for some reason, don't have receipts, it's already happened. Let's say you can also sometimes get the transactions from your credit card, screenshot those and or call the hotel to get a receipt if you didn't get one. But one thing to emphasize here is that in Europe, even if the delay is outside the airline's control, let's say weather, the airline still has a right or an obligation to pay for accommodation and those types of things, right? That's known as the duty of care. And even if an airline is not going to be paying you compensation because it wasn't their fault because of, for example, a large thunderstorm prevented the flight from taking off on time, they still do have a duty of care. And that includes keeping you fed and watered, but also accommodated. For example, if you're on a night flight, it doesn't take off because of weather, they reschedule it for the next morning. They tell you to go away and book a hotel. Or in fact, many times they just tell you to go away and come back the next morning you are entitled as per that european and also mirror uk law to be able to claim that expense for that extra night you have incurred it wasn't part of your plans it's not your fault sometimes it's not the airline's fault but it certainly wasn't your fault and as a result you are you must keep these airlines in check by claiming for the expenses that you are legally due okay amazing Let, let's do one last question now because we're <laughs> we're pushing your guys time yeah. 
Okay, and this final question we'll do from Faisal, which says, Dan and Alex, what would be your dream jobs at airlines, assuming you could choose? Mm, okay. You go first. <laughs> so I've had a lot of time to think about this because I, I always think about it. Like if I had a regular job, if I wasn't a YouTuber, what would I be doing? Of course I would no, but work. but that's not the question. He no, says, what would be your dream? I would dream... work for an airline. Right. So then what would but I he's do? He's saying your dream job at yeah. an airline, assuming you could choose. Because so when I was younger, be. when I was younger, I, I always thought, okay, CEO, but <laughs> maybe I didn't realize exactly what that entailed. So for me, you know, over time, I realized that the thing that I really love about aviation and that I find so satisfying and fun is the logistics and the schedule and how complicated everything is. So I think I would be, you know, try to be head of scheduling or not not cruise scheduling, but either managing the route network or managing. I am uh, so surprised yeah. that the whole airline and you want to be no disrespect to head of schedulings, but <laughs> nothing a bit more exciting like the head of scheduling. Uh, yeah. Of course, they have a uh, forget marketing, completely, but forget marketing, forget CEO, forget whatever okay. that I, I think I would find that so, so fun. I would love to have a head of scheduling. Head of scheduling, I would love to have a head of scheduling on the podcast because it's so complex and there's so many things that go into it. It is. And yeah, it for is. me, I think that's really like the biggest excitement. When I when I'm at an airport plane spotting or just watching planes out of the window, my mind immediately goes to the insane logistics of it's making vast. that. Happen. I mean, it's, it's the amount of work that goes into getting one aircraft from A to B is mind-blowing and, and we understand it and it's still mind-blowing yeah so. and buying one aircraft for hundreds of, of millions of dollars yeah then trying to maximize every dollar of revenue you can get oh, out wow. of that by flying it but avoiding you know two short turnarounds with delays countering in slots all that yeah i would find that so so fun <laughs> so what about you alex <laughs> Well, my answer is a little more. I think the dream would be, you know, if we could choose in a hypothetical world, would be chief executive. I think I would, I would want. I you thought you were going to say, see, you want to be I in that in-flight magazine say, on the first page with your arms crossed. Welcome, welcome yes. on board, Air Dolomiti. <laughs> I'm Alex Ciara. Air Dolomiti. No, yeah. thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, actually, uh, don't knock Air Dolomiti. I had a great flight on one of that. Yeah, I'm not shading them. I'm really just trying. I just tried to find. But an they're too small. That you, no, yeah. I'd want like a big global international car. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, uh, and I wouldn't have a in-flight magazines because that means weight and weight on board is not something that would have my airline meet as a sustainability targets or our fuel uh, targets either so it would be digital you'd scan a qr code and then you'd be reading and then you'd have the front page with the linkedin photo with the crossed arm saying welcome on board we're excited to have you here for this summer season alex Machares, chief executive of and then there would be a special some special about scheduling on page 80 with a tiny little photo of me in the corner Maybe no photo, maybe just a comment. <laughs> but, okay. A photo of my office, which is in the basement. That <laughs> looks like Well, hell. you said it was so interesting. So apparently it's enough to captivate the reader. It is. Um, well, listen, let's wrap up there. Thank you again. If you have already subscribed, followed or liked, depending on wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't yet, we'd love to have you join us here as a new episode drops in your feed every Wednesday. See you next week on air. See you later. Bye.